Now, we have been in this series. I hope you've enjoyed it. It's called It's Complicated. So if you're brand new today, you're jumping into a series that's all about relationships. Uh, first week, we talked about the dating dilemma. If you are dating or looking to date, whether it's because you're a young adult, maybe you're widowed, maybe you're divorced, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to it or watch it. You can see it on YouTube or the podcast at Anchor Ben TX. Uh, really great ground rules for dating. And then last week we talked about um, sex, God's design for sex. I want to encourage you, if you missed it, go back and listen to it. It was really great. I feel uh, I've had a lot of great positive feedback, and not so much that people don't know what sex is. The, the, the aha moment was the soul ties. There were so many people that said, Pastor, I didn't know anything about soul ties. I've been married for 10 or 12 or 15 years, and what we did today set my marriage on a brand new path. And so I just want to encourage you, if you've never heard about soul ties, then that's the message you want to watch, not, not whether or not you're sleeping around, it's, it's there's something spiritual about it, and so you want to go back and watch it. Today I'm going to be talking about fighting fair, overcoming conflict. And we're talking about marriage and super excited today. It was such a great message, the first service. Um, and then next week, what we're going to do is we're going to do a Q&A. Pastor Phyllis and I will do a Q&A. Uh, we're kicking off our brand new three service times. Uh, we're going to have a blast. If you want to submit a question, you can hit the QR codes out on the way out, and you can submit a question, and we'll answer them for you next week. Now, before we dive into fighting fair and overcoming conflict, I do want to give you a resource. They're going to put some QR codes on the screen. Uh, this week, um, as I was going through all the content and I've been working on uh, today's message, I felt a huge burden for marriages. And I have been feeling it for the last couple of weeks. And part of the burden is there are so many marriages that have been impacted by affairs, whether it's a physical affair, whether it's an emotional affair. Um, I just want you to know it's so prevalent in America, and yet you don't hear people talking about it. And what I, I, I didn't feel like I could do a Sunday. That, that, here, let me just explain Sundays. Sundays are a little bit of a challenge because it's hard to go deep in any one topic. That's really what a conference is for because I have to serve a buffet, right? I got single people. I got married people. I got young people. I got older people. And so I can't just spend five or six weeks on marriage when half the church isn't married. Does that make sense? So like the first week was singles, last week was about sex and soul ties, this about marriage. So there's no way I could exhaustively talk about the topic of marriage and how to build healthy life-giving marriages. And so I recorded this episode. You can take a video or get it on your camera, take you straight to the YouTube page or the podcast, but the episode is called How to Build an Affair-Proof Marriage. It's 31 minutes. And I'm telling you, if you're married or if you're thinking about getting married, I would encourage you. I got eight things that I teach you and tell you about how to build an affair-proof marriage. Um, and it can happen to anyone if you're not careful. So go and check out the resource. It's a bonus episode on our podcast called Unstuck and Unstoppable. Uh, for those of you that don't know, I just wrote a book called Unstuck and Unstoppable. It comes out November 8th, come on. And part of that was launching this podcast, so I hope you enjoy it. I do wanna take a second and say hello to Don. Don, it is so good to see you, my friend. He has been fighting cancer, he is back. And I'm telling you what a great report. God is so good. Come on, man, I'm watching you on the front row. I love you. He's been with us a long, long time, setting up and tearing down over at BF Terry and 
You just made my heart happy this morning. I love you, my friend. So good to see you. Now, today we're talking about fighting fair, overcoming conflict. Um, I, I need you to know, if you're not married, that just because married couples have conflict doesn't mean they don't have a healthy marriage. Uh, every relationship is going to have conflict. Every relationship is going to have a fight. We like to say passionate conversations. Um, why? Because we're human. It's, it's just the nature of relationships. And when you're spending your life with someone, you just got to know there's going to be conflict. And it's not whether or not we have conflict. It's whether or not we can have healthy conflict. Can we actually resolve the conflict that's in our marriage and between us as spouses? And my concern is, you know, conflict is normal, but healthy conflict resolution is not normal. People don't know. Nobody's ever taught you about how to resolve conflict. And it's, it's amazing to me, the whole, the whole idea of marriage, right? I mean, you have to take a driver's test to get your driver's license to drive a motorized vehicle, um, you know, and here you are about to spend the rest of your life with someone and there's no instruction manual, there's no guidance and you're outside of a church, even if you're in a church, uh, I, it's kind of like having a baby. Anybody ever had that baby moment where your wife has a baby? I'll never forget, Caden is delivered. 24 hours, they are kicking you out. You're like, hold up, hold up. That's a living, breathing human, and you're gonna, like, do you know me? Because I don't think I'm gonna do good with this little thing right now. I don't know if it'll be breathing. How many marriages, fragile anemic. It's like you got married, but nobody taught you. And, and so it's good for a little bit, but I, I need you to know good, healthy conflict resolution is not uh, passivity. It's not just ignoring things because you can only ignore for so long. Come on. It's like, oh, well, I'm just going to ignore it. No, it doesn't go away, does it? Hey, and healthy conflict is not the silent treatment. Oh, well, I'm just going to not say nothing. and They're going to know that I'm mad. Anybody ever played the silent treatment game as a spouse? Like I got a few brave, honest people. Yeah, it's like, you know, whoever talks first loses. She says something, I didn't even hear. You know, you know you heard her. You know you heard him. It reminds me of the story of a couple that was playing this silent treatment game, and the man had to fly out the next morning at 5 a.m. to catch his flight. He didn't want to miss his flight, but he also wasn't going to lose at the silent treatment game. And so he wrote his wife a note, please get me up at 5 a.m., and he wasn't going to tell her, but he went and put the note right where he knew she would get it at 4.30 a.m., right by her toothbrush. He goes on to bed, and Sure enough, he wakes up. It's 9 a.m. He missed his flight. He looks over to his bedpost, and right beside his bedpost is a note in all caps, get up, it's 5 a.m. <laughs> healthy conflict resolution. That's what we're looking for. It's like healthy. How, how, do, I, how, do, I, how do I have a healthy conflict? Well, first, you got to know that your wife or your spouse is not your enemy. Can I tell you that we have an enemy and his name is the devil? He seeks to devour and to destroy anything in your life, your marriage, your family, your health, your finances. But when we recognize it's not the devil, now would Phyllis and I, we, and I really love Steve is the one that kind of accentuated this to me. We say Team Kyle's. Hey, baby, it's not, it's not, we ain't fighting each other. See, some of you are fighting like this when you need to be fighting like this. Why, we Team Kyle's. 
Like we're, we're in this thing together. I'm, it's not you against me. It's, it's the Kyle's team together and we're fighting. Here, some of you have been fighting to be right. How many know you can be right and still lose the relationship? I'm not fighting to be right. I'm fighting for resolution. I'm fighting to have a marriage that's healthy. And I, we've been in counseling, Phyllis and I, it's probably been eight years now. Um, and so you love me being in counseling. Trust me. You love her being in Some weeks it gets crazy. I, I, I'll, see, I'll see Randy twice. And I love it. Why? Because I need help to keep making sure that I don't get stuck. That I'm, How many know you can get so busy helping everybody else, but who's helping you? And I love what Randy says. I'll never forget, we, we were, Phyllis and I were having a passionate conversation, or, or we had a disagreement. And sometimes we'll get Randy involved, in, uh, which, by the way, listen, everybody needs third-party help. Whether it's a psychologist, a small group, I mean, you've got to have people. See, you're in the throes of it. You need somebody that can be objective. But I love Randy, and you love him, too. You don't maybe all know him. Many of you do because he's been here before. But Randy will say, Jim, shut up. Phyllis, shut up. And he'll talk just as blunt. I mean, he's, he's made me mad a couple of times. Like, ah. He's like, I didn't know if he was coming back. I'm like, I got to come back. Who else is going to be honest with me? Come on, somebody. And he'll say, I'm not fighting for Jim, and I'm not fighting for Phyllis. He, he reminds us often, I'm fighting for this space in the middle where two become one. I'm fighting for your marriage. But some of you are just fighting each other. And I wonder if it's like, man, God, now I'm going to start fighting for this marriage in the middle, and, and I'm going to choose to have this relationship go the distance. And my greatest, and I've seen it, my greatest fear for some people is that they end up, like back in the day, it's like we didn't get divorced, we stayed together, but they live in separate rooms. I know a couple, they don't even like each other, but they're married. Like, I don't want to get to the end of my life and say, woo, we made it. We helped everybody else, but I couldn't stand her. But hey, we made it. No, I want to be crazy with Phyllis. I want my, my kids to say, you two extra, extra with, with. I want the grandkids to say, you two extra, extra with Nana and Papa. That's a little cray cray. Wouldn't you rather be a little extra, extra? Hey, we've been working on it. Woo! We're getting better every day, falling more in love than to just make it and exist in a marriage relationship. I don't want to do it. I want resolution and health. Now, here's a couple of root causes of conflict. So this is not intended to be an exhaustive expose. It's, there's no way. I just want to give you some tools. So even if you're not married, I want you to write these down because these are tools that are going to help you uh, with resolution and conflict in any relationship that you have. Here's just three root causes of conflict. Not all of them, but here's three good root causes. First one is unmet expectations. Write that down. Unmet expectations. To some degree, in every relationship, there are unmet expectations. Why? Because, again, most people didn't sit down and go through coaching and mentoring and developing as they were working to get married. In fact, it's something we do now when, when we do marriage counseling. I don't do it often, but occasionally I'll mentor some of those in the fellowship. We make them actually take a test. And they're like, for real? Yeah. It's a and some of the test questions are like, which one of you are taking out the trash? Which one of you are doing the budget? How many kids do you want? You think that's an easy question, but yo, some of you know, you said, I, I, I'll marry you, and then you found out your spouse wants five kids and you want one. Who wins? 
Where's, do you understand so the expectation? You got one person who says, I came from a large family. I always dreamed of having 12 brothers, you know, 12 kids. And the other one's like, I'm, a, I'm an only child. And these unmet expectations, she's thinking dad was a handyman. He fixed everything. And she's looking at her husband and saying, that man don't know squat. <laughs> you know, dad took out the trash. And your husband's like, he wants me to take out the trash. Right? I mean, dad pray, paid all the bills at home, and your husband wants you to pay all the bills at home, right? I mean, what, what is, what, what's going on? It's unmet expectations. It's how the past experiences define present reality. And if we've not talked about how those things don't line up, now there's conflict. Maybe he's thinking, my mom cooked all the time. My wife don't cook nothing but Mickey D's. You know, my, my mom washed and folded all my clothes, and, you know, my wife barely, she'll barely wash and fold all my clothes. That, that's my story. Hey, listen, I ain't gonna lie. My mama spoiled me. Debbie Lee, she spoiled me. She's right here on the front row. I didn't wash a load of clothes, and I'm not saying I recommend this. I think I was 21 years old, just barely about to get married, and my mom, she washed and folded, but here's what I did do. I cut the grass. I did honeydews. I helped mom with chores. And so Phyllis comes from a family. She came from 12 people living in a household. You not only washed your own clothes, but you better stand there to get them out of the dryer or they will disappear. So it's like she would have an expectation of me. Why are you not washing your clothes? I'm like, what are you, what are you I don't even know how to wash them. I'm a, you know, who's right? Both of you. See, that's where you got to understand it's not about right or wrong. It's expectations that have not been met that now bring conflict into the relationship. Second reason for conflict is poor communication. I, <laughs> it is already difficult enough for most men and women to just have normal communication. But in a marriage, you can imagine how busy it gets, right? When you're a honeymoon and it's just you and your wife, it's all good. But how many know you start to add careers you start to add not one child, but two children or three children and four children. And if one of you goes back to get a degree or an education in any other church, what ends up happening is a marriage is full of a lot of assumptions, but very poor communication. And those become points of friction. It becomes a place of conflict. And the best way that we can improve that is to have better communication. And I wish... Look, I'll give you some examples. This happened, this was this last year. And I'm going to tell you some examples of us. I do want you to know this. There are no marriages that are perfect, so I'm always going to knock myself off that podium and pedestal so that you can realize you are normal. Everybody just take a breath say, we are normal. My God, if pastor, whew, we're normal, I ought to make you feel better. Phyllis and I were on the phone the other day, just this last year. And she says, somehow in the conversation, we were talking about something, and out of the blue, it's like, hey, we've got to pick Caden up from the school at 2 o'clock. Ding, 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 ding. Because, like, she'll, she's, like, sometimes I'm just like, hey, what are we talking about? Cool, I've got to pick Caden up. Okay, cool. She's like, y'all laughing. You know what I'm talking about. I'm like, frame it. Well, what I heard was, honey, I need you to go pick Caden up at 2 o'clock at school, because that's usually what it is, right? My wife, she's like, hey, we need to take out the trash. I got you, honey. I'm going to go take out the trash. You know, hey, we need to go do this. <laughs> George, you know what I'm talking about? So the we to me was, honey, you go do it. Ding, ding, ding. I clear my schedule. I had a busy day. I'm not, I'm, I'm going to serve my wife. I'm going to love my wife. I'm going to go pick up my kids. I'm going to be dad of the decade. Come on, somebody. I show up. And lo and behold, Caden is getting into Phyllis's car at 2 o'clock. I'm like, what in the world? 
I rearranged everything. She's like, well, I meant we, like me and the girls, honey. If you had a question, you should have asked me. <laughs> oh, good Lord. How many have ever had that happen? Well, back in the day, look, I got my brother's got two hands up. He's like, Pastor. Back in the day, that'd be World War III. Did anything bad happen? No, it's just poor communication. Here's another one. When we started the church, we take off on Fridays. So Fridays is a holy day for us. Like I work every day of the week. Don't, don't die on a Friday. Don't let nothing bad happen on a Friday because your pastor's MIA. I'm just saying. <laughs> so I'm out. Thursday, we, and this is, when you look back on it, I'm a little embarrassed to even tell you because it was like there was just this assumption. Whoever had the busier day got to sleep in because whoever didn't get to sleep in has to get up at 6 a.m., get the kids out. Well, I get up every day at 6 a.m., I feel like, you know. Well, there was this day, did she say, oh, gosh. <laughs> so here, there's this day, and uh, we, we just didn't communicate, and my assumption going to bed, I was kind of avoiding it, but I'm like, surely she's going to let me sleep in, because this has been a hard, I mean, it's been a, it's been a hard week. She knows it's been a hard week. It's been a terrible week. Surely she's going to let me sleep in. So lo and behold, we both slept in. Never talked about, she's mad at me, I'm mad at them, we've got a house full of kids, they're supposed to be in school, we're all going to jail because we're <laughs> terrible parents. And I'm like, for the love. Well, what happened? Assumption. It's like, can you believe this? This is how simple it is. We have learned. This is 22 years of marriage. I'm just, we're, we're going to get it. We now schedule every other week. Someone gets up and, so, and it is in the calendar. That's how crystal clear our day off is scheduled. And you think it's real funny. It ought to be an assumption. I felt pretty dumb but it wasn't being done. And so here's what would happen. Week after week, there's a conflict. There's this point that should just be tension to be managed, but now it's a conflict to be resolved because we did not have good communication. Third thing is this, and this I saved to last because it's probably the most important, it's self-centeredness. You cannot understate the fact of how selfish we are. I am a selfish human being. Can I just confess that to you? Like every single person at the core of who we are, we're full of Jesus, we love God, but if given the chance, many times we will pick ourselves all day long. Can I get an amen? I'm gonna tell you, I fight it, and it's one of those things where it's like, God, the more I look like you, the more I act like you and talk like you, but how many know it is crucifying the flesh? And the biggest time when we see selfishness is when a marriage is in survival mode, right? That's the time where there should be more giving, more surrendering, more focused on the other. But the problem is your needs hadn't been met for so long and you just feel like, look, I do this. Have you ever counted? I do this, 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 this. And all I'm asking you to do is this. <laughs> Come on, somebody. And then you don't do it. And now you want me to give more? You want me to do more? And there's this sense of selfishness that it's like, you know, the truth is, I just want what I want, and you're not giving it to me. And so there becomes this self-centeredness that now deteriorates the message and, or the marriage and sabotages the relationship. Think about women. Maybe you want to talk, and it's late at night. And your, your husband's been working hard all day, as, as he does. He's exhausted. He wants to come home. He wants to veg out and watch TV. And you say, baby, can we talk? He's like, oh, baby, not, not today. Not today. Oh, it's been a long day. I mean, think about a husband who wants to be intimate. Oh, you're like, oh, you got energy now. 
<laughs> She's like, but I got a headache now. <laughs> right? Well, well, what is it? I'm not going to meet your need now. I heard no. Think about even spending money. I mean, when it comes to finances, sometimes it, it's interesting. People say, that's my money. That's, no, no. When you're married, it's both your money. That's our money. So Phyllis and I have a rule. You can't go buy something big without us talking about it. Why? Because that's just mutual respect for us. That's where we're not going to be focused on ourselves. And, and if I'm not careful, come on, I'll be like, I don't spend money all the time. But then you go buy that big gadget. <laughs> go, look, oh God, that was too loud. Whoever said that is too loud. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. And the women, the same thing. Go buy a purse and shoes. And so at the end of the day, it is saying, I am going to focus on us having mutual respect. And I'm not going to buy something without your consent. And we're going to talk about it. I'm not going to be self-centered, and uh, I'm not going to be full of selfishness. Look at what James says. And this is, I love James. He's so in your face. He's the brother of Jesus. Um, and this is probably, James is one of my favorite books, just personal development. I read this book more than any other book. But look at what verse 1 through 3 said. I pulled out the message translation. So this breaks it down into modern language and a little more understandable in some regards. But look what he says. Where do you think all these appalling wars and quarrels come from? You think they just happen? Think again. They come about because you want your own way and fight for it deep inside yourself. I mean, doesn't that sound like the state of the world today? Like all the fighting, all the quarrels. He says, look, you lust for what you don't have and you're willing to kill to get it. You want what isn't yours, and you will risk violence to get your hands on it. So I want it. It doesn't belong to me, but I'm a, I want it. And it's this depth of just quarrelness. You know, I'm fighting, and I'll do anything. And look what he says in verse 2. He says, you wouldn't think of just asking God. And the reason he says that, the NIV translation says, you do not have because you do not ask God. So that's that same passage rephrased in the message. So his point is, what you want, you don't have because you don't ask God. And then he goes on, he says, your motives are wrong as well. But look at what it says right here. You wouldn't think of asking God for it, would you? Why not? Because you know you'd be asking for what you have no right to. Look at these words here. This is why I use this translation. Your spoiled children each wanting your own way. And I thought, if we were to be objective in our relationships with our spouses, how many times have we acted like spoiled little children? Just the whole quarreling, the whole fighting. It's I want what I want when I want it. Look, the key to this passage, the key to this verse is that James is trying to tell you that what you want from someone, that's something you'll never be able to get from them. The only person you can get true fulfillment from is God himself. And so many times we're like, husband, I need you to do this. If you did this, it would fulfill me. Wife, I need you to do this. If you did that, it would truly fulfill me. And the truth is there is nothing that would totally fulfill you. In Ecclesiastes, this Solomon talks about that God places eternity in the heart of us. What does that mean? That there is a part of you that there is nothing that can fill it up except the presence and the power of God. And yet we make a demand on the spouse and we say, if you're not doing it, it's your fault. And the truth is, God, you're the one that has to fill my heart. Spoiled children. So I want to help you with this. I want to help you become mature adults. I want to help us evaluate and live our life as spouses in a way that is holy and pleasing to God. And I'm going to give you four I wills quickly. Four I wills. These are things that we're going to do in our relationship. The first one is I will talk to God before I talk to my spouse. 
And that's where James chapter four, verse two, do you not know or you do not have because you do not ask God. What would happen if before you confront your spouse, you talk to God about your spouse? Can you imagine how many marriages would be saved? Have you ever tried to talk to your spouse and confront them and change them? I don't know about you, but I've been married 22 years and I have just realized I don't do a great job of that. In fact, the more I try to correct them and change them, the worse it seems to get. And where I have learned is what he's saying right here. Look, before I go talk to Phyllis, why don't I go talk to God? And I think we know the answer, the reason why people don't do it, right? I mean, because when we talk to God about God fix Phyllis, God, I'm gonna kill her. And and then here's what happened. God listens because he's a good God. Oh, tell me more. Tell me more. Yeah. Oh, man. Boy, man, that was unjust. I can't believe. God and I have these conversations. I can't believe she said that, did that. And then I always go back to the cross. Do you know what what I endured? It's like, oh, well, okay, the cross, Phyllis. Probably not the same. And then what I find is he's like, I'll do this. And here's here's me and God's conversation. Hey, Jim, look, thanks for bringing it to me. I'll work on Phyllis, but here's the key, Jimbo. I'm going to work on her behind the scenes. Probably not going to see a lot, but I'm working. So while I'm working on her, can I work on you? And what are you going to tell God at that point? No, fix her. Some of you are like, absolutely. Hey, I've been there. I have said, no, I am perfect. Can't you see? She's the problem. And then the Lord just, he's so gentle, so patient, so kind. And we recognize, I think a lot of times it's because you'd have to face the reality that you might be the real problem. Look at what it says in Matthew chapter seven, verse three. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take this speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? And and we know this as a reality, right? We judge people by actions, but we judge ourselves by our intentions. Oh, I meant to make it to your birthday party. I'm so sorry that I didn't make it. And you just give all these excuses, and if they only knew. And so you let yourself off the hook, but then you judge everybody else by what they actually do. And it's like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to talk to God before I talk to my spouse. Can I get an amen? Second thing is, I will act and not react. Rather than expect uh, reacting out of anger in a moment where there's a confrontation, I'm gonna act. I'm gonna have a proper response. And so I would tell you this, if a moment, so Randy, you know, has spent many years with us teaching us, you know, escalation goes from one to 10. If, you have, if you're at a one, which means, hey, we're just having a conversation, 10 is like blow the roof off, cray cray. So five is right in the middle. He always says, if you feel yourself escalated above a five, you need to pause. Why? Because you have now gone into what they call fight, flight, or freeze mode, which means I'm now ready to fight. I'm defensive, like you're insulting me. You've said something. You, I'm going to defend. I'm going to fight you. I'm going to flight. I'm going to run, or I'm going to freeze. And freeze is, is weird because you think they're listening, but it's like their eyes have glazed over. They don't know what to do, Right? None of those will produce any kind of quality resolution. And so what you got to do, if if you're in those, take a moment back, pause. But if you're not, then you want to act. You want to have the Holy Spirit lead you into what you should do. Because here's what I know in conflict. We get escalated, emotions run high, and you start to say things and do things you don't intend to say or do. How many have ever been so mad that you can't see straight? 
Come on, feel it. Yeah, it's like, it's like, and then you come back and you're like, I'm so sorry. I don't even know who that person was. That was not me. Had no idea. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's this heightened emotional uh, outrage and fit that's negative. It reminds me of a story of this little league coach. He was at a game, and he pulled one of his nine-year-old players to the side, and the coach, he said, I'm going to have a conversation with this boy. So he asked him a question. He said, hey, son, do you know what cooperation is? You know what it means to be on a team? And the little nine-year-old said, yes, sir. He's nodding his head. He said, good, 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 good. He said, do you understand that what really matters is that we win together as a team? And if we lose, we actually lose together as a team. And the little boy just nodded his head and the coach said, oh, oh that's good. He said, well, that, that means, look, I, I need you to understand this, that when we see a strike that is called by the umpire on a pitch that you don't agree with or someone gets you out at first place, you don't go and cuss out and yell at the umpire. Do you understand that, son? The little boy said, yes, sir. He said, now, I need you to just go explain that to your mama. <laughs> mama bear, why? Because the emotion is like, oh, I know what I'm supposed to do, but the emotion of the moment drives me out of that moment. Look what Paul says. Don't be overcome with the emotion. He says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I'm going to overcome evil with good. So listen, the next time you're mad, why don't you pause, de-escalate, and then do something nice? Have you ever thought about that? Think about, look what it says, overcome evil with good. What is this? This is God's way to have a healthy marriage. When you're mad, you can't see straight. Pause, calm down, and figure out how to serve your wife, how to bless your wife, how to do something sweet for her, even though it goes against every fiber within you. See, the world says to retaliate, but God says to bless. And you find a way. Phyllis is so good at this. You know, we'll be mad, we'll be upset, passionate, and we'll be, and then she'll come and try to tickle me. I'm like, you wait, she'll, she'll bring me lunch. I'm like, oh yeah, you feel guilty, don't you? Stank eye. You know, and she has found a way. And here's, here's what I've, I've, I've come to realize. I have appreciated that about her and have learned to do the same. And there's moments where it's like, I don't really want to hug. I, I don't want to do it. But we have learned it's not about having a perfect marriage, but a healthy marriage. And sometimes you can think that it's a healthy marriage has no conflict. That's not true at all. It's not about the frequency of conflict. It's about how quickly you can get over that moment of conflict. I, I was asking Randy, because sometimes Phyllis and I will look at each other. I say, I feel like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Like, we'll get into this, this argument. We'll be a little passionate, you know. And then three, four, five, ten minutes later, we're just coming back like, I'm so sorry, man. I'm not going to do it. And we make up. And boy, I love the makeup, you know. <laughs> it's all good. And, and I remember telling Randy, and we're like, sometimes we feel crazy. And here's what he said. When doctors go in and try to look at the health of a body, it's not about whether the body's been injured, how often it's been injured. It's how quickly that body will recover from the injury. And your marriage and the health indicator of your marriage is how quickly you can recover from that zero to 10 moment, that zero to seven moment, that zero to five. And so you may feel like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, but you're doing it God's way. I'm not gonna stay mad. I'm not gonna retaliate. I'm not gonna be angry. I'm gonna flip the script and do what goes against what that moment moment 
would normally bring about. And it brings to the third thing, I will focus on the good and not the bad. I'm gonna focus on the good and not the bad. You, you've gotta find ways to look at the good thing that your spouse is doing in your life. So many times we just focus on the bad. I mean, think about it. You know, if, if, if it's really important for a, a woman, maybe you're a woman and it's like, honey, you take your clothes off and you drop them right here by the bed. And, and I know it's no big deal for you, but to me it means a lot. And she's like, just about 10 feet over here, I've got a pan, like a basket, a hamper basket. Could you just like, not there, here. Like not there, here. And you've been married for 10, 12 years and they just still end up right here. Imagine this is the woman going to work. Of course, they're there. That's where they're there every day. And you just get mad. Well, he don't love me. I cannot believe If he loved me, he'd move those clothes from there to there. And you get to work and you start to think about, well, I cooked him dinner. It was special last night. He got up this morning. Oh, he saw me and he still dropped his clothes right there. Didn't do a thing. He knows it matters. And by the end of the day, you're ruminating on the negative moments of that when the truth is he didn't even think about it. He just left it there, and so now you come home, and he's loving on you. You're mad. You're, mad. You're like, no, 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 don't, don't touch me. He's like, what would I do? Right? I mean, we, if you marry long enough, you know this is true. I mean, you think about husband. Maybe the same thing. Man, my wife, those kids, they run over my wife. If I was her, boy, they wouldn't run over me. They go to McDonald's. They go play. They do whatever. I've told her no. Say no. Say no. And by the end of the day, instead of appreciating that your wife loves those kids, will take those kids, will do anything, it's like we're going to say you have not done what I asked you to do. And we focus on this negative 20%. And the whole reality is there's 80% of other great things that are happening in your spouse. Here's what I want you to know. You will always find what you're looking for. Write that down. You will always find what you're looking for. Paul says in Philippians 4.8, you need to be looking for whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, these are the things that you ought to be thinking about. And I love a story from Ruth Graham. She was Billy Graham's wife. He's the great evangelist. He's passed and he's in heaven now. But he, he traveled seven out of 12 months out the year, so he's constantly gone. And a reporter caught Ruth Graham and asked her a question that he thought was gonna ruffle her feathers and make her upset, but she had such a great response. Here's what the reporter said. Doesn't it make you sick that your husband, he's always on the road and traveling? And... Uh, He's never here to be here with you. Here's what Ruth Graham said in a, in a question that could have really been negative focus and hurt her. Look at her response. She said, oh, wait a second. She said, five months with my Billy is better than 12 months with any other man on this earth. Look, traveling was reality. She knew it. He's going to change the world. That's what he's got to do. So I'm not going to focus on the fact he's gone seven months. I'm going to focus on the fact that he is here. And those five months are absolutely amazing. And I want to give you a warning too. Again, I said it earlier. Nobody's ever going to be able to fulfill the 100% of your life. And what we will do is we will focus on the 20% we're not getting. And your husband or your wife, I mean, just imagine all the things they do. They help you with the kids. They cook. They cut the grass. They pay the bills. They affirm you. They let you have your time away to go enjoy with friends. I mean, all the things, the thousands of things they do. And we'll think about this one thing. Yeah, but he doesn't put those clothes in the clothes basket. Or there's something else. And what we'll do is we'll ruminate on the 20%. 
And then the enemy brings somebody over here that says, oh, baby, I put my clothes in the clothes basket. You think I'm joking? The fairs start just like that. Oh, I would care enough about you. See, you were leaking that you're mad at your spouse, and oh, I promise you, there's somebody that doesn't care about your marriage. All they care about is sexual fulfillment, emotional fulfillment, and they will take you right out of your God-given marriage, your covenant that God gave you, and they're gonna do it because you're focused on the 20, and they'll meet the 20. Here's the challenge. When you get them, they could never amount to meeting the 80. It was a bait and switch, and I can't tell you how many marriages I've seen destroyed because the enemy took them out on the negative 20% that they were focused on, and now they've lost everything. I want, that's why it's so important, that podcast, the bonus podcast, How to Affair-Proof Your Marriage. You gotta go and listen to it. I wanna encourage you to do it. I'm gonna give you eight ways to affair-proof your marriage. Now, I also wanna give you just, I also recognize there are marriages that are abusive, Bad things are happening. I'm not saying that there's not a reason for divorce and you know a separation. So I'm talking about healthy marriages that we all have to work on. Can I get an amen? Okay, fourth and final thing is I will talk and not walk. I will talk and not walk. We've gotta to commit to work out our frustrations. And the whole premise of this is I'm gonna work through issues, not leave the person God brought me together with. I'm not, I'm not just going to abandon you. I'm not going to walk out and leave. Now, we may pause, and I recommend that. You know, Phyllis and I are very passionate people. We've just learned. If I have escalated, I'm going to pause. But I want to encourage you with what Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 says. Look at what it says. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. The devil a foothold. Here's what I want to encourage you with. Don't go to bed angry. You know, I've been married 22 years, and I wish I could say there's never been a night I went to bed angry, and that's just simply not the case. And I will tell you that as a husband, the worst times in my marriage where the enemy had the biggest opportunity to pick me off was when Phyllis and I went to bed angry. Because here's what happens. Look, you go to bed, you're mad, you feel right and justified in what you believe, while you're sleeping, and you know this if you've ever gone to bed angry, you don't even sleep well. You're mad, you just, and you're thinking about all the negative things, all the, the wrong things, how they didn't treat you right, they didn't say it right, they didn't do it right, they don't love you. I mean, you just know what the end And then it's funny, because I won't sleep on the couch. I'm sleeping in my bed, I don't care how much of a fight we, I ain't gonna be sleeping much, but I ain't going to the couch and she'll rub her, get your foot off me, don't cross that line. You know what I'm talking about? Can I tell you what this word foothold means? In the original translation, the word means a guest room. Can you imagine? So what he's saying is don't give the devil a guest room in your house. Could you imagine the devil just knocking on your door? Oh, hey, Mr. Devil, what's up? Yeah, I got a, I got a guest room right here. Come, come on in. Come, come hang out at my house. Would you do that? Would you do that? Kevin, would you do that? No, no. We would be crazy to even think that that's a possibility. And yet when we go to bed mad, that's exactly what we've done. We've invited the devil right into our marriage and wonder why three months, four months, six months down the road, divorce is being talked about. We've separated. And if this principle was actually lived out, you could save more marriages by shutting the door and saying, no, no, you ain't getting in my house. I get it. Listen, if you're mad, 
Phyllis, there's been nights where we, we're not angry, we're frustrated, but we come back and we hug and we're like, look, I don't know that I agree with you. In fact, I don't. We'll talk to Randy in the morning, but I love you. And we will hug and say, look, I'm sorry. I love you. Don't agree with you. And we get to a place where we're not angry. You understand the difference? How many know you can be healthy frustration, but I'm not going to bed angry. Why? Because we're going to protect our marriage. We're going to keep the devil out of our house so that we can build healthy, life-giving marriages. Amen.